I need to tell you about the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Ooh. <laughs> I know that's a big setup, but just stick with me here. Don't under, don't oversell this. So, uh, you remember when we talked about class action lawsuits recently? I think it was on a Q&A. Yeah, we talked about it. Yeah, it might have been the Patreon episode. But yeah, we talked about like the surprise. Oh, hey, here's $20 yes. uh, back. And, yeah. And which ones are legit and which ones are not. Anyway, I, I mentioned during that that I had received $75 in the last like year or two. Congratulations. As part of Maldonado versus Apple Incorporated at all. Yeah. Uh, which I've, I went back and looked. It just has to do with if you bought Apple Care Plus within a certain range and then got a device repaired or replaced on it. Oh, within a certain range. That's all it was like. It was just I think it's some I think it's some class action about like the the language was you will receive a like li- sort of a like new product yeah. as a replacement. And the class says those products were not like new anyway. Yeah, I got I got a scratched iPod once. Right. When I sent my iPod in for repair. Yes. Something like that. Anyway, I got a seventy five dollar check sometime. Congratulations. A while back. OK, the other day this shows up also from replacement device lawsuit as the return address. I'm just going okay. to read from this letter. You're receiving this check because you were a class member who cashed a check from the initial disbursement of the settlement fund. Ooh. Because not all class members redeemed their initial payments, there is money left in the settlement fund that is now being distributed to class members who did redeem a payment from the initial disbursement. Ooh. This check is for $130. What? <laughs> well, I mean, it's weird because sometimes like you get a check in the mail, you forgot you did a thing. And it's like often those checks that look real scammy, right? right. Yes. But I mean, I, I cashed the first one. It went just fine. But wow. Congratulations. Just- 205 free bucks. The idea that because I cashed the first check, they sent me another check for almost twice as much. <laughs> I mean, what a way to follow through there, Brad. I guess I feel bad for the people who didn't cash their initial checks, but only so bad. When when we talked about that, I forgot the most obvious one, which is that I'm eligible for the Bolt recall. Oh. So they did the Bolt batteries. And if you didn't do the batteries, if you had a car that was new enough that they weren't worried that the batteries were actually going to go, but still fell under the realm of the thing, then they, then they made, it's a terrible deal. They were like, Hey, we'll give you $1,500, but only if you run this software on your car that reduces the capacity by 20% of the battery Mm. for three months to test if we think it's going to, which will give us the data we need to know if it's going to actually explode Mm, three months three months you tough out for 500 bucks a month well it depends on if we have to go someplace if we have, if we want to drive to like tahoe or something it's a real pain in the butt true true i didn't think about that yeah but anyway 1500 bucks pretty good yeah, that would fun. reduce the total spend on that car to under under two thousand dollars i think wow yeah man yeah we should have gotten an ev when, when the getting was good yeah there it's the deals are gone now people mm. want evs now it turns out that's a shame something about five dollar gallon gas i don't know yeah well hey there's a couple of life lessons for you cash yeah. your class action checks and uh buy an electric car <laughs> Welcome to Brad and Will Made a Tech Pod. I'm Will. I'm Brad. Ahoy hoy. Ahoy. Uh, salutations. Greetings. I was trying to think of something nautical. What else is there besides ahoy that you would say on the high seas? I think it's just ahoy, right? Uh, 
Land Ho, but that's only if you see land. Yeah, sure. Some kind of naval greeting of some kind, naval address. Uh, greetings, comrade, I think, is certain navies, but some probably not others. Mm, sure. Um, I don't know. Brad, I think uh, this week, I think we should take a trip down memory lane. Yeah, I like doing that. We've we've got show notes here. We've done some research. I went into my deep into the garage when I was cleaning out some stuff before the holidays. And one of the things that came up was my 1996 vintage Space Orb 360. Okay, that's where this came from, because I I thought this was like a highly specific suggestion for an episode topic when you made it. And wow, look at that. It's right there. Yeah. Hang on. Hold that pose. Yeah. I might use this as. Let me turn the lights on. (laughs) All right. Okay. There. Now. Great. Okay. We've got, we've got that show. Or the picture of Romero that we'll talk about in a minute. We've got show art. Um, so yeah, so I found this thing and I was like, man, the, the look, the Xbox 360 era standardization of PC controls on two sticks, four face buttons, four triggers, two analog, uh, two digital and some start and select or, or, or box and hamburger and share or, Whatever you want to call them. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. The the schism, the schism that's happened on the start and select buttons in the last few years is one of my least favorite things about where video games have gone. Just call them start and select. I guess they're not the same. Like Xbox is share and yeah. Anyway, start and select is the right answer. You're correct about that. Like PlayStation's options and share now option and share something like that. Like Xbox doesn't even label them, but they do have names. Like one of them is guide, right? Or something like that. I think, well, I think Xbox the 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 one formerly known as the start button is the hamburger button is 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 airbrush screen printed on both of my controllers that are sitting here but the other one is where things get crazy and on playstation share on an xbox it used to be share and now it's something else i don't know what it does on an xbox oh the um, view button is now oh right yeah the view the view button is is, is select the due to, to menu it's menu and view on ah. an xbox controller which yeah. is blasphemy i think anyway. you mean start and select is what yes, i'm is what i'm hearing Definitely what I mean. Anyway. Um, yeah. So like undoubtedly good for games, right? It's made everything yeah. easier, mm-hmm. but we've lost a lot of the mad science vibe that came with controllers in the nineties and early two thousands. Sure. Looking at this list we've assembled, I can agree with you. Yeah. So, so what, if you are, if you are young to the point that you do not remember these days, there was a period of time before the mouse and the keyboard was the de- dedic- dedicated preferred way to play first person shooters. And I think uh, part of that, like, well, like Wolfenstein, I don't think there was a mouse option. I don't think there was a mouse look option in Wolfenstein. I think it was just AS, uh, sorry, it was arrow keys and control alt shift space. That sounds right. Uh, to do the different things. I think control was how you shot and alt was maybe how you opened do- or doors space. Was there a jump? No, sh- jump oh, was shoot. Uh, space was ju- space was shoot okay. and control anyway but the, like they there was an option button there was other stuff that you had to do in doom you most people use the same config like very few people aimed with the with the mouse in doom and i think part of it is because when you push forward and back in doom it moved you forward and yeah. back in the game yes which always felt terrible yeah it felt bad um however if you took the time to learn how to aim with the mouse in doom and you played any kind of multiplayer games at all, you would just utterly decimate the people who couldn't, uh, couldn't like turn and strafe at the same time. Yeah. The, the circle strafe is what we call it. Now everybody knows about it. Yes. But it, it, at the time it was a revolutionary new technique where you could go sideways and rotate the mouse. So you were aiming at the center of the circle, basically as mm-hmm. you were going and, and having spent a fair amount of time playing in college lands, playing doom in college lands 
people thought you were cheating. Like sure. people who had always used the, the keyboard only to play. When you started doing that, they were like, what the fuck are you doing, man? You are cheating. You are. Why? How are you killing me? What devilry is this? I, I was not smart enough to use a mouse to play Doom, but I did have a Gravis gamepad and I mapped a strafe to one of the face buttons. So I, okay. could, I could turn, but then I could quickly hit a face button like as a toggle to strafe when necessary. And even that got me similar accusations when I played head to head over the modem with friends of like, yeah. hey, these rockets are just slow enough that if you just sidestep them, they won't hit you. Yeah. So so anyway, what happened after Doom came out and it accelerated after Quake came out. So Doom came out in December of 93. Quake came out in the fall of 96. Um, What happened after that was the the crazy controllers accelerated because everybody was like well the mouse and keyboard clearly isn't the way to play these games we're going to make a whole bunch of other crazy things yeah well i'd, I'd jump in there and i would say that plus m look happened in that in that range and yeah. m look was not universal it took no. a long time for m look to be like it wasn't until the kind of second wave of quake engine games landed that m look became universal absolutely so i can't remember i wish i had made a note of where i read this i don't think it was in the romero memoir that i read last year it might have been just like might have been like carmack on twitter or somewhere i was reading about them talking about going through those iterations as quake was coming like heading like, to the finish line yeah where they they had all these different options for how they thought the mouse might work because nobody had ever used a mouse to look in 3D space before. And they had like at one time they had it where if you were looking with the mouse, but then start walking forward, the view would then default snap back down to level again. Ooh, that seems and, bad. Uh, but but ultimately they decided to ship the game with Mlook in there, but disabled and like you could only turn it on with the console command. So yeah, this, which in, is crazy, right? Right. Because right. then, you know, I still remember you know, I vaguely remember at least like the day that I enabled Mlook for the first time change my life right but but at the time it was not seen as like the way to play a first person shooter yeah it was definitely a third tier kind of choice um and i think i think the way it shipped was you had to press you had to press alt you had to hold a key down to to look up and down to use for the mouse to to move from the doom style that to might the, be right to, to you know where it controlled your movement axis your forward and back to looking up and down i, I don't remember but the upshot is mlook wasn't the default it took a long time to get there and mad cats and like it, it was the 90s so there were a lot of hardware companies still they hadn't all consolidated logitech mad cats uh thrustmaster this and then a bunch of other smaller places all were like okay we we've done joysticks we've done game pads we've done wheels we've done yokes we can do this mm -hmm. and there was a lot of weird first person shooter specific hardware that came out it's like an arms race looking at <laughs> Looking at all these ridiculous experiments. It really was. Um, can I, I'm also going to mention a descent real quick. Came oh, out yeah, in descent, March 95. I, yeah. Which is unique because you were actually moving in a 3d space, not just looking right. Like yeah. You weren't, you weren't just a bipedal dude on a ground, on the ground it was looking around, you know, it, you were actually a ship in zero gravity, like flying in, in six degrees. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so there were, there were games on the market that were really starting to demand something that lets you move and, and look around in 3d space properly. Yeah, so so um, a lot of these early controllers, the first one that I saw was the Logitech Cyberman. This came out in 93. I I think I bought one of these and returned it or maybe I bought it and just checked it in a box someplace and then never used it. Um, but it was it was a it was basically a mouse that had a stalk coming out of the bottom and then the stalk was attached to a flat plane that slid inside uh, a thing. So you could turn twist and tilt the mouse on top of it. 
Yes. You could also scooch it from side to side, slide it forward, the whole stem forward and back. Oh, it slid as well. It didn't just rotate on this axis. Yeah. And uh, oh, just, you know, we're going to put the link to the show notes. Like there's a Google doc with pictures and links to stories about stuff and the whole thing in, in the, in the, in the show notes. So if you want to see what we're talking about and not just have us d- d- hear the descriptions, uh, check that out. Yes. Yeah. We'll, we'll just make that Google doc public because there's too much to cram into the like podcast post show notes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, th- so that thing slid forward and back. It was, if the tilting wasn't great, I remember playing Duke Nukem specifically with it. Cause Duke Nukem, you could look up and down, even though it was a 2.5 D first person shooter. Uh, but it wasn't, it, I don't, it didn't feel good. Like it, it, it actually felt pretty terrible. And when you hit the limits, it didn't always like the games you had to, you had to configure the software. The software had a bunch of stuff to configure. And when you hit the limits of the stem into the, into the bottom, the, the slidey part, instead of the tilty and turny parts, you, you basically didn't, it didn't work right in most games. Uh, and you had to change it for every single game pretty much. Did this require specific support in a game? No. So this this showed up as a mouse and keyboard, I believe. You plugged it into, but I think you plugged it into a gamepad. Maybe maybe it showed up as a gamepad and a mouse. I can't remember. Um, um, but it was it, a it was a weird. It was a very weird device. It was very janky. Yeah, I didn't review well. I I looked oh. for some reviews of it and couldn't really find a whole lot. No, what I did find was we'll talk about the Logitech Cyberman 2 in a little bit because we're going to go chronologically here. But, yeah. but I saw references to the original Cyberman in Cyberman 2 reviews and they were not kind references. Um, I, and I have to I mean, I have to say this thing looks like a prototype to me, like the mouse part looks like the most generic 90s ass. Like it looks like the crappy mouse that comes with your Packard Bell. Um, yeah. In, in terms of just the form factor and ergonomics of the mouse, it looks and it looks like that just bolted to a base, you know, like this thing looks like a proof of concept it, um, it part of the problem i think is if i remember right was you had to when you grabbed it you had to kind of grab the 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 stem part so like in order to tilt the mouse forward you had to kind of pull up on the back of it at the same time like it was it was weird re- so it was hard to press the buttons and do the movement and all the things and also when you think about it it's weird to put movement and look on the same hand like what was your left hand doing when you're using this thing i don't know so Anyway, it it was a weird it was a weird product. Like I said, I think it's something that I bought at Sam's Club or something and then returned because it was it was bad, actively terrible, um, and it didn't work. Like I, if if I had to guess, I would say I bought this in the in the Doom Duke Nukem Doom slash maybe Descent era because it was like coming into Descent, it felt like you needed something a new controller and and I didn't have rudders for my joystick and and uh, throttle. So, you know, clearly Descent wouldn't be a playable. I think we said it, but just in case we didn't, to be fair to this thing, it did come out in 93. So it's actually kind of way ahead of its time. Um, and this uh, this Edenwaith.com link in the show notes uh, is actually somebody trying to resurrect one of these things in modern times. Oh, wow. Because it's so pre USB, you know, it's a it's a serial device. Yeah. And so they literally had to buy like a USB to serial adapter and try to like, like dump the protocol or whatever. Like they've got a bunch of like hex codes and stuff on here that they're going through trying to make this thing work. I I wonder, I wonder if this, it looks like it came out pre doom. It was yeah. released pre doom, like the rise of the triad mech warrior two. So like the thing about mech warrior two, if you, if you, if you've never played that, 
it wasn't a twitch aiming game. It was like a lock onto your target and kind of point in the general direction game. So it makes a lot of sense for this kind of controller. If you were playing an actual first person shooter, it was would be a little bit more difficult. Also, this Eden Eden Way thing points out that it had it had rumble, which I had completely oh. forgotten. So you had to put batteries in it because cereal obviously didn't provide power. But um, but it would it would bounce. It would it would it would it had a little tumbly motor in it that would make buzzing noises when you whacked into stuff. If the game supported it, I guess. Yeah. Fun. Uh, so for for weird controller aficionados, it was a dark time from then until 1996 when the Mad Cats Panther XL came out. Yeah. And I'm going to say this is maybe one of the only ones of these things that was actually good. Did you use one? Yeah, I used one of these. I'm, I'm impressed. I have to say I'm impressed at how many of these you seem to have touched at some time. Well, so I, I went to land parties, like pretty good sized land parties on the East Coast uh, at the time because you couldn't really play a lot of multiplayer games. And I went to want to say DC Con in 96. Wow. When a lot of these people had stuff set up. Was that full on? That was full on BYOC. Like you hold your. Yeah, I hold my pizza box, box there. up there. Yeah, man. Uh, and a, and a 25 pound CRT probably. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Panther was a joystick, like a flight stick type joystick with a hat and triggers and multiple top buttons and the whole thing. Uh, and then on the left, and then there was a kind of kidney shaped base. And on the left side of the base was a pretty good sized trackball, almost like a missile command or, um, you know, like, a, like an arcade trackball, a centipede trackball. Not, not quite as big as a centipede or millipede trackball, but same ballpark, probably a two-inch ball, if I had to guess. Sure. It's, um, it's, not, it's not the worst idea, like joystick plus trackball. Like that actually, those are both proven input methods. You, know, you could kind of see them working in tandem. Yeah, it was it. It felt pretty good. I didn't. So this was one. I'm pretty sure they had it set up there. Maybe I played one that somebody had brought, played with one that somebody had brought. And um, the weird. So the. You were shooting and moving with your right hand and aiming with your left hand, which was different. By this point, I would have been using mouse and keyboard because because I think I feel like if Quake hadn't been out, Q3 test was out and you were you were like it became clear that you're going to have to be able to aim up and down before long. You couldn't just right. drift drift on aiming perfectly straight all the you, time. You had to you had to shoot down through those murder holes below you and yeah. play below you. You had to shoot rockets at people's feet or they wouldn't be you wouldn't be able to do a murder on them. Um So, yeah, like so you use the mouse, the 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 trackpad trackball worked like a mouse. Your movement was on the stick. The hands were reversed from what you normally do with the mouse and keyboard now, unless you're left handed. Yes, that's what I was waiting to say is I think it's kind of an odd choice to put the joystick on the right. Like normally, I mean, granted, that's that's uh, that's biasing for right handed people. Like obviously left handed people probably had a good time with this thing. But generally, I would want my pointing device on my dominant hand and the joystick is less important there. I don't think we realized that that was important at the time. And also I would say that because the joystick is handed, it's a clearly a right-handed joystick because it has a thumb button. Yeah. Um, I think that probably the cost, like the cost of doing this, the way that you would expect with the aiming on the right hand and the, and the, and the, uh, shoot, the movement on the left hand yeah. probably would have multiplied the cost of this thing by a pretty substantial margin. because they would have to make left-handed molds. Sure. Um, but yeah, it like it worked pretty well. The trackball was like using a trackball for first person shooter controllers works actually surprisingly well. Um, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but Jason uh, Bergman, known as Looney Boy at oh, the yeah. time over on Blues News. Yeah. Uh, who's gone on to work on a bunch of different games over the years, uh, but but famously posted on Blues News about his one handed doom and quake playing technique, which was that he bound 
I think mouse three on a trackball and a logitech thumb trackball to walk forward and then huh. would steer with the mouse and shoot with the with the with the left mouse button. Oh, that's intense. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I've talked about this before. I, I, I had to walk forward on mouse two for years and years. Madness. But, but even I still needed the keyboard. I, I still had most of the other stuff on, on keyboard keys. So to do everything with one hand is impressive. Absolute madness. I think, so I think the Panther, I think, so a lot of these devices are combo joystick port and serial devices, which I think is what the Panther was. The, the, the joystick port, uh, was a MIDI port that was, that, Creative Labs and Microsoft had done some some software work on. Oh, is that what the okay? And was it called a game port? I think they called a game port. Yeah. Okay. I didn't I didn't realize that was like a custom thing. I had always wondered where the game port came from and who standardized it and et cetera, et cetera, because it was often on your sound card. So yeah, it was a standard MIDI port, and you could use most MIDI ports for game ports if if there were drivers for them. But Creative Labs and Microsoft had done some some custom work on the driver to make it work uh, that, with game controllers. That explains why I plugged my Gravis gamepad into my sound blaster for so long. Well, and it also, the nice thing about MIDI was it let you do analog and digital uh, feeds for different inputs. So you could do, do I think two analog axes and um, a whole 16 buttons or something like that. Maybe three analog axes. I can't remember. Um, so yeah, Panther XL, it was weird. Uh, they didn't make it for super long. Um, it proved only produced until 1998, which means basically it was out. It was done before like quake multiplayer stuff had really even taken off, uh, which was, which is, which is a weird thing to think about. Is it safe to, I don't know if we can dig this up on every product. Is it safe to assume most of these were not in production for very long? I don't think any of them like truly hit. I think that, yeah, like the, probably there's a couple down here later that are, that went for a little bit longer, but yeah, most of these, most of these were one to three years on the outside. Um, so the next one is one of my favorites is what we talked about earlier in the show. Uh, it's the space orb 360. I got this at the, I won this at the, at a land party. Nice. Um, which is maybe the only thing I've ever won at a land party. Uh, but, uh, the, and, and just be clear drawing, not competitive, I believe if I recall, right. Uh, but it's space orb is, a. Uh, you've probably seen pictures of this It's popular on the internet. Cause it looks really weird. It's got a ball. Uh, it's got a ball on the left side where the, where the analog stick on like a dreamcast controller would be. Mm-hmm. And then on the right side, there's four face buttons and it's got two triggers on the top, which I think this was maybe the first thing I ever saw that had triggers on it on a, on a game Interesting. situation Interesting. as well. And then we should, we should point out the, the orb is something you palm. It's not like on the face of the controller. It's more like the entire kind of upper left quadrant of the controller is scooped out and a giant rubber ball is there in its place. Like it's a, it's a pretty sizable orb. Yeah. But you, so you, the idea was that you put your thumb on the center of the ball on the face side so you could push it forward and back and you kind of grip it. So it's like twisty. I don't know if you can see that, but you kind of grip it on the back with two fingers. So you can, the, it, basically the ball was a 60 OF controller. So you could, you could go forward, back, left, right, and up and down and then also twist X, Y, Y, Z, whatever the other one, X, Z. So you can twist on all three axes or any combination thereof. And there's like a little, I don't know if you can hear it, but there's like a little springy kind of, yeah, kind of. mechanism in there. It, it looks like a stress ball. It does look like a stress ball. Yeah. And the, surprisingly, unlike every other piece of 20 year old rubber I have in the house, it doesn't have like a weird tacky feel or oh, anything wow. like that to it. Oh man. Like they made it out of a, it, this thing was built to last. The company that made this also made 
uh, what I would describe as weird CAD controllers as well that were like fifteen hundred bucks. I think this launched at a hundred hundred bucks, maybe one hundred and fifty bucks, hundred bucks according to Boot Magazine. Who who did make this thing? I'm actually not seeing that. Um, the company they oh. spun off a separate company to do it, but I think it might have been called Space Orb, Space Tech, uh, IMC. Space Tech, yes, Space yeah. Tech, TEC, Space Space Tech, yeah. IMC. First bought by Lab Tech. God, remember Lab Tech? Yeah, Lab Tech was was a was big in the CAD space for a long time. Wait, were they? Yeah. Jeez, I I I both have not thought about Lab Tech in like twenty years, and also feel like we could maybe do an entire episode about Lab Tech. Maybe, yeah. They have they made a lot of stuff. So the space orb, because of the sixty OF nature of the of the controls, it was great for games like Descent, right? Like you could push forward, you could go up, down. You are an unstoppable killing machine in Descent. The the twist, the the lateral translational movement, the strafing basically was quite good and very reliable. The twisting, as I recall, was a little jittery, and I feel like it's the kind of thing that like. In a modern context, they would have added a little bit of software smoothing to, and you would have never noticed that it had a problem. Uh, back then, we didn't do such things, and so, like, it would skip because you were de- passing all this data over a serial port. I think 112 kilobot or, or 112 kilobits per second or whatever it was that you got out of a serial port was maybe gating your 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 perf. Interesting. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was a pretty remarkable thing and it, and it worked. Like I said, I did, I ended up not using it for very long, but I'd whip it out for descent was the reg until I got, until I got a Thrustmaster, like a FLCS, like a F-16 flight stick with, with the Hotas and the whole thing. It was, it was my descent thing of choice. Yeah. And it seems to have been pretty popular. I found a, a post on uh, Scott Hanselman's blog. I swear that name sounds familiar. I don't know why I know him. Scott Hanselman is a, a noted hacker of things. Okay. A programmer, teacher, speaker, technologist is how he seems to. Anyway, uh, this this blog post is from 2010, so it, it itself is fairly old. But at the top, it's about the Space Orb. He says, 15 years later, and I'm still convinced that the Space Orb 360 is the greatest game controller of all time. Uh, but this whole blog post is about this cottage industry or scene of people who have come up with an Arduino-based solution for getting the space Orb 360 to continue to work on modern PCs. Yeah. So, so it basically makes it show up as a USB head device and you have two, uh, two different modes for it. One is mouse and keyboard and one is joy- joystick. Um, unfortunately the shield is no longer available anywhere that I could find. I was going to buy oh, one so I could put it together and try it out. That's a shame. Um, uh, Scott's a vice president at Microsoft. Also, he's oh. a dev, he's a developer community guy. Oh, now. okay. That that's why I've heard. That's that why name. you know him. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, space orb, kind of cool. I'm gonna say, yeah, I, seems I seems like a neat idea. Yeah, it's it's unlike anything. It, it is completely unique amongst these controllers. It's, it's, it's probably the most like I'm, I don't know if I don't want to use the word innovative as a bit grandiose, but it's the most like thoughtful thing on here. I think because everything yeah. else is like some maybe ill advised combination of existing input methods, you know, or like it's just a joystick with a little extra or something, but this thing is actually like it's unique on this list. And it seems like they actually put thought into how you would play a game with it. Well, yeah, some of the other ones, um, I would say maybe the cost of manufacturing impacted the, the usability of them. This one, this one actually, this one's pretty good. Um, like I said, the the I distinctly remember the movement being a little bit the the aiming being a little bit jittery, uh, but but yeah, it was unlike uh, it didn't feel cheap. I guess compared to some of these other these other boxes, uh, like the next one, mm-hmm. the Logitech Wingman Warrior. 
Yes. Which, uh, which yes, this this, case, 97 is it? Yes. This is a 97 release. Yes. This, this is kind of what I was thinking of when I said like, Hey, it's just a joystick with some stuff. Like in, in this case, instead of a trackball, it's a dial. It's like a, straight up centipede machine dial on the side of this joystick or tempest dial. Yeah. It's not even, it's not even a two axis dial. It's just a one axis dial. Um, It seems like it was made for doom specifically in 1997, which was a little bit late for doom. Yes. You Um, like you, you linked, uh, you linked the manual on archive.org for this thing. And I was looking through it and then looked at the date it came out and I was just like, you poor. Yeah. You you know, like how, how did you do this to yourselves? Like, this thing is just for aiming on the x-axis back and forth at a time when that was five almost five years outdated <laughs> well this this was also this was a time before joystick twist was a thing right like they were still trying to sell rudders for joystick for every flight stick that they sold so nobody was putting a, a z-axis twist on a on a, a rudder twist on the on the on the joystick which is essentially what this wheel is uh, i think it showed up as a mouse i was looking at looking for people who were trying to get it working so this was another joystick plus serial port thing um i just this one flummoxed me. I think it had, I think you, the, the, there's another spinner that was the Y axis on your, for your thumb on the twisty side, on the left side of the, so this is just to be to paint a word picture. This is another joystick with a thing dangling off the left side of it. In this case, the left side is a, is a big, like inch and a half, uh, red spinny, spinny top. It wasn't loose like a Tempest spinner though, as I recall, I don't, I never bought one of these. I used it in, I, I, I touched it in Best Buy. I was like, oh yeah, no, this is a, this is a no for me dog. Um, it has a, it has a mouse wheel type spinner, uh, below the, the, the thing. And then it has some thumb buttons. It's a right-handed joystick again. So you're doing your aiming with your left hand and you're moving with your right hand, which feels, I mean, I, is that, I guess when you're doing a gamepad, you use your right hand to aim, right? Usually. Uh, oh, now, yes. Now. Yeah, now yeah. in the modern context. Yeah, on, on a dual, dual analog, yes. Um, the, the most notable thing about this is I, I was looking through some old boot magazines to find people talking about the different products here. Um, there's a, there was an ad from Logitech with John Romero holding one of these up above his head. Mm-hmm. And, it, and the quote at the top is great. John Romero who is listed as id software stud and co-creator of doom doom 2 and hexen and quake oh i hadn't this in the google doc it's a little too small to notice that text i had missed id software stud but this is absolutely well but this was after he was well after he was out of there almost certainly yeah unless this ad like long predates the launch of the product because he was out of there mid 96 well so Uh, the but quote the, is yes, very, very much in the heyday of him being in ads and promoting yeah. his brand, though. This is when he was going to make you do make you his something or other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it says, when I created Doom, I never imagined there'd be a killer way to play it. Wingman Warrior is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, so um, I it's shocking to me that this thing shipped ever. Yeah. They must have spent a lot of money making the molds for this in order to release this in a post-Quake world. Yeah, for sure. Also, I want to point out, um, in contrast to the general swagger of the rest of this ad, yeah, Logitech's uh, motto at the time, products people love. That's true. That was their <laughs> motto at the time. I mean, <laughs> there, maybe, there maybe has never been a more generic corporate slogan than that in history. What was, what, what was Sony's make-believe? Yeah. Oh, no, sorry. It was make-dot-believe. Sure. Yeah. Products people love. 
Okay. Also in 1997, confusing the market was the Logitech Cyberman 2. Yes. No, it was not for online fornication. That'll come later. Yes. Um, yes. No, we'll, we'll get to the we'll get to the Falcon later. But. Yeah. The Cyberman 2, uh, the boot review written uh, in, let's see, July of 97, the July of 97 issue, which would have been like written in probably April was uh said it's better than the first uh this is another kidney shaped thing that's in your desk but instead of having a joystick on one side and some sort of aiming controller on the other side this one puts the aiming thing on the right and the movement thing on the left so yeah. the movement the movement part is a slidey top that is like forward back x it's it's like the there's a circle that moves on the xy axis and you can use that to basically pass wasd commands through as if it's a keyboard uh, there's some buttons on that side so you can do like uh, gun selection, jumping, that kind of stuff for at, at finger position and thumb position. So you could palm it basically. So you you put your palm on this thing, you move it forward and back, left and right. Um, that that part actually pretty good. Like okay. it felt pretty good. The aiming part was like a. Do you remember those those thumb pad those those eraser heads on old Lenovo and IBM laptops? Oh yeah, yeah, the it's classic, like the nub. Big, big one of those guys okay so you kind of but you kind of it was a knob that was two two and a half inches across and rubber and grippy you'd kind of grab it and like you could tilt it forward back left and right a little bit and that would or and twist it as well um which would let you do all of the things you do with a mouse i guess this uh this this review from boot magazine by brian del rizzo describes it as a puck yeah, it's, it's, it's kind, of a, kind of a way to think of it. And I got, yeah. I got a, I mean, I, I have a little bit of a bone to pick with old BDR here. Not a lot of description in this review of how it feels to use. No, my guess is I, I this this review feels a little soft. Sorry, Brian, oh. we love you. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it's he, he does describe it as fully digital. There's like a patent diagram of how it works on the twisting and all that because mm-hmm. it's all they made a big point of it being all digital and not analog. Uh, because at that point, that was the time in, in history when if you plugged your, your, you initialize your, your joystick at the wrong time, it would be off axis and you'd have to reinitialize it. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks a lot. I mean, this is a 175 or 200 word review probably. So it's a little, little short, maybe 300. I don't know. Um, he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't talk about how you use it in like quake or, or doom or something like that, which is what I would, I, I really want to know. I don't. I didn't spend much time with this at all. I don't think I ever used it actually plugged in. I just, um, uh, or if I did, it was only for a minute or two. It was already gone by the time I, I like it, it, it. It's time had passed by the time I was covering this stuff uh, as a real thing. This one actually looks like they had played video games before they designed yeah. it, though. Yeah, this uh, this one like the space orb has got some thought put into it. It's, it's a unique design, at least. Yeah, um, and it's definitely not for he he does say it's not for flight games even though you do have a kind of joystick thing on there uh i don't know it's a this is a weird one i'd be curious to 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 fire one of these up the the thing that he does include in this review that i love is the configuration app yeah the screenshot of the configuration app where they have like presets for different games but you can literally bind all the axes and twist and all the different stuff to all the different possible uh, uses for the for the for the device which is which is weird uh okay he, this is the real this is i think this next one is maybe the bottom of the barrel which is really <laughs> saying something uh the thrust master frag master brad do you want to take a stab at describing this one i 
the best thing I can think of to say about it is that it looks kind of like some of the alien architecture from the alien and aliens films or alien in particular, yeah, like the, it, like the, the HR gear spaceship stuff from alien. Like it looks like a control interface from that. It's, it's Giger esque. It's um, so there's a round base uh, that, that's fairly substantial. And then uh, coming out of the center of the base, there's like a Delta shaped thing basically is yeah. how I would describe it. Tri- triangular, um, it's not a joystick because there are two hand grips. It's almost like an arch. It's like a, yeah, it's like a triangular thing, but with a big cutout in the middle. So your hands, your fingers can grip both sides of it. Yeah. I, I never used one of these. I never, I, we had one at maximum PC that was just basically glued to the wall in the top of the lab in, uh, as part of our wall of shame. Um, but yeah, it was, this was made by Thrustmaster. It's called the Fragmaster. They sold it as a first person shooter controller. And as it was designed by, for games like Quake, um, I don't know. I don't exactly understand how it was supposed to work. I think you were, I think you were moving by pressing the buttons and steering like this thing, almost like it was like a yoke for your, for your, for your steering. Yeah. I would love to hear. I, we, we put this in here. Like I said, I don't think anybody really used this ever. Um, uh, there were a couple of videos where people dredged it out on YouTube and, and tried to make it work and kind of had mixed results. Um, but the, and the reviews that I was, that we were able to find described it as very uncomfortable and didn't feel the least bit natural. I it, can see it, that. Yeah, it looks like the kind of thing that somebody was like, hey, man, we got to get a FPS controller. You better make it look weird. And also it's going to have a thing called megahertz mode where it works just like a real mouse. Hang on. You need to explain we need to spell megahertz. M-E-G-A-H-U-R-T-S. Is it S or Z? Yes. I'm looking at the box here. Oh, hmm. I'm looking at a photo of the box. Megahertz mode. <laughs> it's like you're going to hurt the mega. Disappointing. Uh-huh. I, don't, um, I, don't know about, I don't know about the branding here. Thrustmaster, Fragmaster. Like, I don't think you can do that. I, I think they called most of their things the something master. Oh, it, were they all like that? Yeah. Okay, I guess that makes a little more sense. Yeah. It was either it was either something master if it was an arcade controller or it was like they they would knock off the A10 Warthog or the F16 FLCS system and like do an actual military joystick. They, they were Thrustmaster at that point was mainly real airplane joysticks was there was their kind of bread and butter um so like like and just to be clear this was an expensive thing to make like this is this has got a boatload of plastic parts so they spent at least you know hundreds of thousands of dollars making these molds and it, so this must have been perceived as an incredibly lucrative opportunity for the entire market to figure out because they were all trying to do these weird proprietary things that that really didn't work at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was this came out in 98. I mean, this was right in the middle of the Quake explosion, right? And like Unreal, yeah. Unreal came out in 98. Like the, the first person shooter scene on on PC was just exploding at this time. So Get, 97, 98, Quake, Quake was an enormous thing. Duke Nukem was people were playing a lot of Duke Nukem. And and we were all looking like the the heady coverage online and in print of the first wave of quake engine games and and then unreal engine yeah. games after that was enormous right yeah yeah like sin and half-life came out in 98 as well so sin half-life heretic 2 um uh quake 2 was supposed to ship in 98 i don't think it shipped until 99 i, I always yeah. 
just thinking in retrospect, I always pair Sin and Half-Life in my mind because they're two Quake Engine games that came out very close together. They were like the first two big ones, I guess I would say. It might be a little generous to mention Sin in the same company as Half-Life in well, this day and age. I don't well, know. Well, but at the time, Sin came out, what, a week before or something? Um, two weeks before Half-Life? I don't <clears> and then Heretic 2 came out the week after. Hang Those on, were all three Quake Engine games. Heretic 2 was uh, made Quake, by Raven. Quake 1. Quake 1. Engine or games. 2. So... I, some of that stuff's a little messy. I think. Yeah. I think Half Life is all Quake One code. I don't think they. Put I, in, in I Quake think two. it's hard to say. Yeah, like because I don't. I think they took code dumps from it all the way through and cherry picked the stuff that they wanted. Would be yeah, my that, guess. That's touched on in the Romero book. That was part of the reason Daikatana took so long to come out. Is they did a ton of work on Quake One code, and then he saw Quake Two at E3 and was like, "Well, we got to be on that engine." So they <laughs> went and relicensed and, and had to throw a bunch of work away. Anyway. um, Sin came. Oh, I, you're right. Actually, Sin came out November 5th of uh, 98. Yeah. Half-Life came out. Like November 17th or 11th or something. November 19th. Wow. Yeah. They were like, two, God, you're right. They were like two then, weeks apart. And then literally Heretic 2, which was a third person game, but also based on the Quake engine, came out the, from Raven, who had made the good Quake mission packs. Yes. Came out the week after Half-Life 2. Oh, Half-Life 1. I did not realize that. You're right. I never played Heretic 2. That's cool. No one did because Half-Life came out the week before. Mm, yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're not wrong. Uh, uh, so, yeah, it, this uh, it was it was it was a like people people. The perception in the hardware manufacturers had to be that there was a lot of money for whoever cracked this first. Right. Yeah. And that's why they kept like we've seen we've talked about three Logitech things already. Yes. Right. Yes. Of course, the the amusing punchline here is that I guess nobody ended up cracking it. Well, yeah. Well, hold we'll, on. We'll get, we'll get there. there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, in 1998, the Sidewinder Freestyle Pro, not really a first person sh shooter controller, but we're going to talk about it because it had motion control, um, was a game pad with a D pad and some face buttons, but it also had an accelerometer so you could tilt, uh, on two axes to control your, your, your games. Yes. It, now, it, yeah. Was this, was this just the form factor of the regular Sidewinder? Oh no, or no, it was much worse. Okay. <laughs> Sure. Uh, they made it look like a big long boomerang. Mm -hmm. So it has like a like dangly prongs that you hold that rendered the D-pad almost completely unusable in any configuration. So I bought one of these because I needed a gamepad and I went to the store and I was like, oh, this one's three dollars more. I'll get this one because it has this motion shit that I'm probably never gonna use, but it also gets comes with motocross madness, which that looks cool. Oh my god. It was a maybe the worst gamepad I've ever used. It's it's right up there with the N64 gamepad. The like is it is the the D pad. There was I don't know that there was a way to physically hold this device that made the D pad comfortable. Uh, in order to use the the accelerometer, I'm, I'm, I couldn't find confirmation of this online. But judging by the price and the time period, I'm reasonably sure it's just an accelerometer inside, not an accelerometer and gyro. Uh, it it. Uh, like you, you had to switch the device over from analog to digital modes. You couldn't use you. you I think the D pad showed up as a hat hat switch on the joystick. If you were in accelerometer mode, but you, huh. yeah, it was weird. Um, motocross madness, reasonably fun with it. I'll say, cause you tilted the thing up to make them to do wheelies. Yes. Other than that, it was unusable and was a terrible device. Oh. Put in the hall of shame with the U force and the, and the frag master. Oh you, oh, you mean the game that shipped with it was the only game to make good use of its weird bespoke feature? Look, there were several other Microsoft's Game Studios titles that also supported it to 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 lesser, greater amounts. Look, um, it's the the thing I'll say about this is that it's a testament 
to how much the Fragmaster looks awful that I used this thing and know how bad it is. And I still think probably the Fragmaster is the worst thing on this list. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> Uh, seeing, seeing this, um, the, the full name, let me just, uh, Sidewinder Freestyle Pro is the full yeah. name of that product. But I looked up, this has reminded me I did own a regular Sidewinder somehow. The one with um, the, the, the four face buttons. E- I think it has six or, or, oh, there were multiples, weren't there? There were multiples. Yeah. yeah. I had the one with six that also has prongs that you grip, but it had six face buttons. Okay. Uh, but it, is it the blue one? Uh, it was black or, or grayish, dark gray. Okay. Uh, crucially, it has the same god awful D pad as the Freestyle Pro that we're talking yeah. about. The tilt. It is the ugliest D pad in history. It looks like it's melted plastic. It literally looks like they took a regular D pad, melted it halfway, and then put like a heavy ball bearing in the middle of it or something. Yep. Well, Nintendo had the plus. They they patented a plus, so you That's couldn't do true. a plus at the time. Yeah. So Sony had done the weird fake four but four way buttons design. The, so there's also the. Um, they, they did multiple generations of the Sidewinder gamepad, okay. which, which also they also had this Sidewinder gamepad pro, which kind of split the difference between the freestyle. Um, I'll put a picture of the freestyle in the uh, in the show notes. Um, but the the Sidewinder pro was more of a boomerang design that looked almost like those prototypes of the PS3 gamepad that uh, came out for a little while. Yeah, um, actually, you're right. Then kind of the, the batarang. Yeah, the Batarang. The Batarang PS3 controller. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. The Freestyle Pro is an all-time bad tier for yeah. gamepad design, yes, though. It's, 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 it's fugly. Yeah. Uh, next, 1998 brought the Sidewinder Dual Strike. Microsoft clearly invested heavily in this space. They thought there was something here. Uh, the Dual Strike is, imagine if you had a gamepad with a ball and socket joint connecting the left and the right halves. Mm-hmm. And that ball and socket joint is an XY joystick, so you can, you can mouse with the gamepad. Like by twisting it, it's almost like a, um, is it the JogCon or the NegCon? What's the, what is was the, the NeoCon or the Namco? NegCon? Yeah, that, that thing, but it's two uh, axis. It's, it's not, not just the, one axis. Was it the NegCon, which I, I, I cannot remember which Namco controller it is that twists in the middle, but it's not entirely dissimilar to that. Although this moves on, yeah, like you said, on more, more axes. It was the, the, the NegCon. The NegCon, yeah. Was the Namco twisty controller. But this is, this is more elaborate than that. Also, this is like, when you look at it, it actually kind of looks like two Wemos, like two Wii controllers, but just with this big connective thing in the middle that actually is binding them together and on this joint. Yeah, it's it's I, like I don't I feel like I used this one and really immediately dismissed it. Um, people really like it. Like people huh. use this today. Still, people okay. have done a lot of effort to get this. This is by this time, by the time the Freestyle Pro came out, we were into USB and weren't using serial and joysticks anymore. So people can write custom drivers for these things in, in the in the in the in the today the world of today i think the freestyle pro and this both had joystick port connector that then you could um that came with a usb adapter as well though so so you can still use them um it 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 like i said i don't i either i don't remember using this or i immediately dismissed it and wasn't reviewing this stuff yet um but it was like i said the reviews are really positive for this people seem to really like it and and express why they like it in ways that make me think it's probably actually uh, weirdly okay. Um, unlike it, it would work with all the current games is the thing. Like it's like the controls are still valid today for sure. what that's a purpose. Sure. And I'm trying to find if this was USB, this was probably USB. This was this both. This oh, had both? an adapter. Okay. Yeah, so this was USB and, uh, there was a game port. It was game port by default and had an adapter that you could plug in for USB, I believe I'm, it might, it might actually just, I'm looking at this Neo or active Win review 
and it might just be um maybe it's usb only this might yeah. be the first usb only one this was 99 this was about when like mice were starting to go usb only stuff like that yeah you'd have more than two usb ports on your computer by this point um i'm it is unclear to me anyway yeah this this might be usb only okay I wouldn't be surprised if there were people still out there trying to make this thing work right now. There are, I will tell you. Oh yeah. Uh, everyone take note. The dual strike controller is USB only according to the activewind.com review. Okay. Uh, it is a hundred percent. There are a hundred percent people still using this. I saw a thread of people trying to use this with rage uh, like five, six years ago. Interesting. Or rage rage two, maybe. Rage. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think I have found a thread on vogons.org. Are you familiar with that site? I remember Vogons.org. Yeah, uh, I believe that's a good place to get a lot of old drivers for computer stuff. Yeah, old, old computer stuff. But I found somebody on here who apparently has developed their own open source interf- like driver and interface for <laughs> for the dual strike. Yeah. Imagine if you took the time to build muscle memory using a device like this and then like they stopped making more like imagine if you learned how to use a mouse in 1998 and then they suddenly stopped making mice. And it was yeah. just all trackpads from here yes. on out. And you're like, I man, I hate trackpads. Yep. Um, we got the Sidewinder Dual Strike next in 1999. Oh, that, that's this one. Sorry. Uh, we have the Sidewinder Game Voice came out in 2000. Uh, that launched at the same time as the Strategic Commander, which we've talked about in the past. But it's basically the Strategic Commander is basically the Cyberman 2 slidey movement thing, plus a whole buttload of buttons. The Game Voice was an interesting, weird thing. It used MSN Messenger and some proprietary software to give you a like essentially early team speak or uh, type experience, but you could bind that had a bunch of keys on it. One of them switched between the speaker input and the mouse and the head headset. So you basically could bypass your speakers only if you had only if you had a stereo speaker configuration, if you had multi-channel, you were out of luck there, um, which was beginning to become popular in 2000. Uh, but you had push to talk buttons for, multiple groups of people you could do like an all talk you could do just your team you could do just your squad if you were playing a, a game that had a bunch of people in it and that, that's, what this little, cool. that's what this little dongle is for i assume yeah the dongle the dongle is just i think a hardware switch for the keyboard for the for the speakers and the headphones and then like that showed up as keyboard or joystick buttons for push to talk that were not accessible to anything except for the game voice software as i recall i see i did not i I can't remember if I reviewed this or someone else. Today. I don't think we gave this a very good review on maximum PC. I'm I guessing. Yeah. Just thinking about what voice stuff was like at that time. It probably didn't work all that well. Well, so the voice stuff worked pretty well. It also Arnia. had voice recognition. The problem was nobody did voice because almost everybody was on modem still sure. like, like broadband hadn't reached any kind of penetration. Getting your friends to install some weird software to, so they could hear you was unlikely. Nobody like headsets were unusual at this point still so uh, it wasn't until microsoft shift shipped the first what was it the the second xbox yeah was 360. the 360 came with a headset that like yeah. headsets became a thing that you had to have yes three yeah 360 every every single one had headsets in there i think did the xbox live kit for original, original xbox yeah. also all did those all come with headsets i don't know if that was separate or not yeah if you bought you had to have the live kit had a cd right you had, a, had to had a cd or a, had yeah. a game disc and a headset and a dongle I never had a controller. Yeah, I, think. I never, I never got on Xbox Live on the first Xbox for some reason, which is oh, insane wow. to me in retrospect because everybody around me was doing it. But yeah, there wasn't. I there think I mostly games, actually. 
But, yeah, because was Halo 2 on Xbox Live at that point? It was. Uh, that was pretty yes. much the only thing. You, that that and like Mecha Salt and a couple of other things yeah. were what you could play. There was a few things. I, I yeah. was not that big into Halo. Was, I guess part of the reason I never got on there. Well, so it's worth mentioning that around this time, around 2000, is when the original Xbox launched and Halo came out. And I guess we'd seen Time Splitters prior to that had a tw- dual stick uh, configuration that worked with like a little bit of aim assist and, and stuff like that. But that's kind of the end of this, this era for yeah. all intents and purposes. Actually, if you look at this timeline we have constructed here, the last, the last device with a couple of exceptions is 2001, which is the same year that Halo came out. Yeah. So the, the 2001 was just a mouse with rumble. Yeah. It. It's the Logitech. I feel mouse. They, they worked with immersion uh, corp who had a patent on adding rumble to touch to, to mouse and keep mouse devices um, from 1997. I reviewed these for maximum PC. I absolutely, it's one of my all time favorite mice. The sensor was wow. bad for games. It was really low res by today's I, standards. I actually, I thought you were about to say it was like one of your least favorite. That's surprising. Well, so they were very light mice, very small mice, but the haptic stuff in windows surprisingly was really, really useful. So you, you could feel the edges. It gave you, you, you know how you have the haptic support on a modern Mac touchpad where you feel the edges and you get bumps when you hit stuff and things like that. Yeah. You don't even notice it anymore. Yeah. But it's there. Oh man. And, and having that haptic bump on input devices is incredibly useful. Wow. Actually, I'm just thinking now about like ways you could use that as you're navigating graphical UI, you know, like crossing window borders or whatever. Yeah, it, it was very subtle. It wasn't super. It wasn't like the kind of thing that you notice after 10 minutes, but it makes using Windows a little bit easier, especially as we were moving to higher resolution displays back then. So Man, um, that's a cool idea. I kind of wish they would maybe try to bring that back. Well, the patent expired seven years ago, so maybe somebody will maybe somebody will. I mean, I assume that's that patent expired around the time the haptic stuff started coming out on the MacBooks. So maybe that maybe that, those two things are related. Um, and those, those mice weren't, they weren't like crazy expensive mice either. They did, I think Logitech did two generations of them. They didn't sell well enough that they kept doing them and not a lot of games supported the API stuff. So it was, it was a little underwhelming on the game side. Oh yeah. The, the basic one was 39 95. That's pretty cheap. Yeah. Uh, 2007, the Novant Falcon, mm-hmm. uh, came out. So this spun off of, of, of military sim tech. Uh, it was basically a robot that sat on your desk. It weighed a ton. It had three arms that were connected to actuators and you put a, you snapped a controller into the end of the arms. So you could like, like there was a gun handle, like a pistol handle controller. There was just a orb with some buttons on it. There were a couple other things. And then there was a thriving aftermarket of uh, community created things that you could attach onto this. But the, the neat thing about it was the arms were connected to actuators and they could actually they would push back so they could control oh. the the positioning of the controller in space to a pretty wide range. And it could measure both the translational movement in and out as well as side to side and up and down. Um, Valve supported it with a bunch of their like TF2 and Half-Life 2 and I think day one maybe or day zero supported it. A bunch of bunch of different things supported it. Um, and then eventually they released a driver that let it work with every mouse and keyboard game pretty much. Um, it was a weird thing. It, it was basically, they took something that cost 20,000, 15 or $20,000 in the SIM and like military market and sold it for, 
I think a few hundred maybe was yeah, the, this, this, this R story from 2008 says priced 175 to 240, which I guess is just retailer variation. No, it's based on which, which, which attachments you got. So whether you got oh. the wand attachment or the gun attachment or the oh. ball attachment, interesting. Uh, you, you could get, you could get a pack with all of them, I think, which was yeah. up, uh, up to 240. Yeah. The, the header, the header on this R story says, finally the gold after all the garbage. Yeah. Well, but then also when you get down to the, where they're talking about playing it with actual games, ours is said uh, the first thing, the lead in the Half-Life 2 section is, yeah, it's harder to use this. I would never actually use it in multiplayer, but it gives the game new life. <laughs> sure. Which for a game that it was, uh, in, well, let's see, 2007, I guess Half-Life 2 was relative, was new in 2007. So that's Ish. probably a, 2004 yeah. it came out. So it was yeah. still, it was still pretty dominant. That's uh, an old game then. Yeah. You're playing that in multiplayer probably at that yeah. point. Yeah. When you fire the shotgun, the orb kicks in your hand. That's yeah. Kind of cool. I mean, that probably makes it, like you said, harder to play, but that's at least kind of neat. Yeah, they released a they released a mod. Uh they released some other stuff for it. Um uh and they released drivers. They had multiple like tiers of support based on how the feedback worked. They released a driver that let you use it with everything and uh, it became very popular in a, the community of people who wanted to do, um, have intimate relations with their computer, mm-hmm. let's say. Sure. Um, I had one of these and gave it away at some point because I was like, I don't think I want to have one of these around my house. People think things. I think there, there was one around GameSpot as well. I seem to remember being fairly bulky. It was really big and really heavy and the box for it. You had to put it in the box right or else you'd jack up the arms um, or you had to leave it out and it was hard to dust. Uh, and also, like I said, th- there were some int- intimations if you had one sitting on your desktop. Uh, the uh, it's it's it was sold for a really long time. People were oh. making these. They were made these until like 2012 or 2013 oh, or something. OK, um, seems like you can get them on eBay if you really need one. They are available. Uh, the last thing on our list, unless we're going to talk about the dual N64 controller config for Goldeneye and Perfect Dark, which is no. still I I left it alone earlier when you implied that the N64 controller was among the worst of all time. Like I'm not rendering an opinion here, but I'm, you know, some people are going to take notice of that comment. I, I, I played a lot of GoldenEye with four controllers and two people playing the game. It was, a, it was the best way to play a first person shooter on a console prior to two stick uh, wait, shooter. Wait, you were dual controllers. handing? Huh? You were dual handing? Yeah, it was a it was a supported configuration for the oh, rare shooters. Wow. You, you held the middle prongs of two controllers and you had uh, basically basically you were giving up everything for the ability to turn and shoot at the same time because you couldn't sure. change. It's hard to change guns. It was hard to jump. It was hard to do everything else, but you could turn and shoot at the same and move at the same time. Um, The last the last thing on the list. Is the steam controller, which okay. came out in 2015. Yeah. And it's it's on the list because it's the inverse of these other ones where the other ones were trying to get ways to play first person shooters on the PC without using a mouse and keyboard. This is a way to let people play mouse and keyboard games on the PC without using a mouse and keyboard. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm I don't know that I'm prepared to render judgment on the Steam controller. I uh, was not a huge fan of it at the time. Over time, the software has gotten a lot better and the implementation of it that's on, say, a modern Steam Deck. I'm just say pretty good. I play mouse and keyboard games with the t- touchpads on the Steam Deck uh, more often than I would expect. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I, I have I, I bought a Steam controller, have never used it. 
other than to just like hold it in my hands and click those touchpads and be like, this feels weird. If you play in a living room, a lot of people, um, a, a lot, like I, I've worked with people who use them regularly, yeah. uh, to stream games to the living room yeah. with a steam link or, some, or something like that. Some people swear by it. So that's it. Um, my favorite, my favorite thing in this whole in this whole thing was when I was going through and I found the the note about the space orb and boot that they have like they have a picture of it and they have like three things highlighted and one of them is Dawson Win 95 programming interfaces. Mm-hmm. Six buttons can be programmed. And the third note, extremely comfortable rubber ball. <laughs> hmm. I'm gonna go and tell you 20, 20, let's see, 25 years in. This came out in 96, 27 years in, 28 years in now. Mm-hmm all still comfortable that's you know there's something to be said i've, I've got i've got late model dualshock 4s the playstation 4 controller yeah. where the analog sticks have gone tacky sticky nasty rubber yeah i don't know what changed man but they, everybody should make their stuff out of the space or ball rubber and stuff it feels great we've lost so much they've, they've taken so much from us yeah thanks environment uh man i was pretty happy with products people love as an episode title but but extremely comfortable rubber ball look if you don't have an extremely comfortable rubber ball in your life what are you even doing you were missing out yeah i I want to find somebody who can make the um i gotta figure out how to make one of those one of those shields for the arduino to get this thing going again yeah i want to play some Fortnite with this bad boy that would that would be kind of cool you know what i bet you would be the only person on all of twitch.tv playing playing, Fortnite with a space orb playing Fortnite with a space orb 360 are there there enough buttons i could change guns probably i think i could probably make that work i wouldn't be able to build but that's fine because i'm old and i don't build um, I think that'll do it for us this week, Brad. Yeah. Yeah. That was a fun little retrospective. Yeah. I, I, like, this was one of my favorite times in games. And, and just to be clear, there's a bunch of weird stuff that people did that wasn't a specific product. Like people were playing first person shooters with fight, fight sticks and like throttles and rudders and all that stuff. People did some buck wild stuff in the early first person shooter days. Um, like play, play quake with just a trackpad trackball. Yes. Um, I, I knew a guy who worked in the Linux lab at the university and he would play with the nub. Like he had a standalone ThinkPad nub that he just bought and was on his desk and he would use that to aim. And you know, like people, people were all over the place. Whatever, whatever floated your boat back then. But you know, who's not all over the place. Who's that? Our patrons, our patrons. Yeah, that's right. They've got it together. I mean, I guess they are technically all over the place. Geographically all over the place. Yes. But united in their love of, of, of extremely nerdy stuff. Yeah. And um, as as always, we say this every week, but the tech pod is a listener supported show. We don't take ads. Uh, we don't take sponsorships, really. We don't. We just read the people who uh, like to support us on Patreon every week and, and we thank them all. Um, if you want to find out how to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash tech pod. Again, it's patreon.com slash tech pod. And for five bucks a month, you get access to the discord, which is full of people who like nerdy stuff like old first person shooter controllers from the nineties and building Arduino shields to bring them back to life and all sorts of other stuff uh, like that. Uh, but it's a very special. Thank you uh, goes out to our executive producer tier patrons, including paddle Creek games, makers of fractured veil, Andrew Slosky, Jordan Lippet, bunny fiend, comma, the just wedge, Joel Krauska, twinkle, twinkie, David Allen, James Kamek and Pantheon makers of the HS three high speed 3d printer. Thank you also so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. And I'll and I'll, I'll remind people again, um, if you want to see pictures of all the stuff we've been talking about, the 
Google Doc link will be in the show notes. Yeah, and I'll go through and put pictures of everything in here so that they don't have to go to the links if they don't want to. But the links are interesting. Like some of these, some of these reviews, finding a review from a site that existed before Google on Google was really lovely because you get a, a glimpse back into the 1997 internet, 1998 internet. It's, yeah. it's I, I was I was pretty delighted to see some of these original page designs are still up for these reviews from like 2001. Yeah, I can't remember. Maybe it's the it might be the Neowen. Uh, no, it's the. I can't remember which one it was. One of them had one of the old Amazon badges. The Eden Waith, I think, page has one of the old Amazon badges on. No, oh, wow. that's not it. Yeah, it has one of the old Amazon badges on the side that's like Amazon. We sh- we sell everything, and they're just talking about books at the time because it's you know, a hundred years ago. But um, but that'll do it for us this week. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Have a lovely, lovely week, and uh, we will see you next time. Bye.